Welcome to the Higher Ed Demand Gen Podcast, helping higher education marketing leaders share knowledge about learning, strategies, and tactics that are relevant today. See what you can learn today by listening to one of our episodes. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Higher Ed Demand Gen Podcast, hosted by Concept3D. On this podcast, we like to discuss topics on creating and capturing demand in higher ed. A little bit about our sponsor, Concept3D. Concept3D helps bring your campus to life virtually. We have served the higher education community for over a decade with our award-winning interactive maps and virtual tours. Improve your campus communications, student engagement, event calendaring, and recruitment with our powerful location-based virtual solutions. My name is Shiro, and I will be your host today, currently the Director of Demandion at Concept3D, and I'm speaking from my mountain home here in Colorado, about an hour west of Denver. Today, I am super, super excited to have Marty Bennett join us today. Marty is a higher education leader with over 29 years of experience in international ed. He's, he's currently the president of SMIE, which stands for Social Media and International Education Consulting. And fun fact, he also runs, as a part of SMIE, he runs a weekly live roundup every Wednesday, right, Marty? Every Wednesday, and he just reached 200 episodes. So if you need a place to go to learn more about international ed, he does this weekly. So Marty, thanks so much for joining us today. Pleasure to be here, Cheryl. Thanks for having me. Of course. And where are you joining us today? And do you want to start us off with one fun fact? Sure. Uh, Fun fact is uh, I have dual nationality. I'm born in England, uh, moved to the States at age five with my family and entered the U.S. as an L2. And uh, extra, extra points if you know what an L2 visa status means in the United States. Intercompany transfer dependent. So my dad's company moved him from the U.K. to the home office in St. Louis, Missouri, where I grew up. So uh, I started my life as an international student in kindergarten. So lost the accent, kept the passport. <laughs> That's great. And where are you dialing in from today? Yeah, home, from the home office in Finley, Ohio, Northwest Ohio. That's amazing. Great. And I know in our prior conversation, we talked a lot about international enrollment and we talked a little bit about different visas like the L2 that I did. I didn't really know the differentiator was, but one thing that really stuck out was, uh, you published an article on the six P's of strategic and international enrollment management. And I think that'd be a really good piece to talk to our audience today. Do you mind sharing a little bit about, uh, this article and your perspective? Sure. Yeah, it actually started as a series I was doing for um, IDP Connect on their higher ed outreach to the to U.S. and Canadian institutions. And it's a kind of a, a formulation of, that I've come up with over the last two to three years, really, uh, kind of when the pandemic hit and I wasn't doing a lot of traveling. I started to ruminate on some of the things that I've been thinking about as priorities in what we do in international education. And I came up with these six P's and these are what I call are the principles of uh, what I what I define as essential elements of a strategic international enrollment management plan. Uh, they're uh, basically a philosophy that says you are purposefully picking people first. And what that means, so I'll go through the six Ps quickly, uh, is a set that you must start with a sense of perspective, not only of where your institution sits in the world of uh, international education compared to your U.S. colleagues, but compared to how other countries are recruiting internationally and how that impacts what you do. Uh, also, uh, you need to have a foundational p- plan 
Uh, it needs to be based on data. It needs to be based on not only your own institutional strengths, but also uh, where the students are coming from as you go out into the wide world to bring new students to your campus. It has to involve uh, choosing the right platforms and the right partners, the third and fourth P. Uh, platforms where, where your audience are spending their time. Uh, that you need to be selective about that. You can't just be all things to all people. No one has the bandwidth or the money or, uh, or really the time to do all that. So uh, picking the right uh, places to spend your, your resources wisely, uh, online, uh, in person, uh, or also the partners that you choose to help you get the job done because you can't be all places at the same time. You need to have uh, partners around the world, but also on campus to help you achieve your goals of uh, successfully enrolling a class of international students and graduating them too. And that's the piece that we always uh, sometimes seem to forget on campus as in international admissions offices. We have a responsibility to not only bring those students in, but to make sure that they have excellent services while they're in place and that they graduate uh, with, a, with a potential uh, bright future ahead. And that's something that is a responsibility of everybody at the university, not just the international admissions office. And that's, that's the larger piece that when it comes to, when you, when you boil down everything that these, these six Ps talk about, it's the last two that are most important. In terms of your outreach to them, you, you need to have a sense of personalization. Everything you, all your messaging, beyond just first name, that's the way when I started in the 90s, that was about as personalized as we could get with our communication with prospective students. Mm -hmm. But now it's, uh, there's country level planning that you can do. There is uh, multi, uh, multiple languages that you can have your content available in to help speak to the needs of students in certain parts of the world. Uh, you want uh, you got to think for yourself. What what would you want to see if you were a student applying to a university? You want to hear those stories, those success stories of, of uh, of graduates of that institution, of current students who are there now who have overcame the odds. And then lastly, you want to let the, your peers, uh, in terms of current students, those, those are the peers that will help drive success for your prospective students, that they are the ones living that story that future students want to know about. And ultimately in admissions, it all boils down to how well you can paint that picture for a prospective student of what it's gonna be like for them to be on your college campus. And that uh, those that do it well, uh, allow your students, current students to tell their, their stories and to be that voice for your campus. Uh, and I, I knew that from the first moment I started in the profession 29 years ago as a domestic admissions counselor. I was told, hey, you might be a graduate of this institution. Uh, you might think you know it well, but what, you're a staff member. You're an employee now. Uh, it's, it's, and our students are, are tel at that time teleambassadors. Tele uh, they were doing the calling to prospective students. Our student tour guides that were taking the new, uh, new students around on campus, they're the ones that were the, our best recruiters because they told their current story and that was the most relevant for those students. And that's, that, that doesn't change over the years. That's the one thing that is most consistent. Your current students are your best recruiters. And if they're an important part, an essential better part of your, your philosophy of how you're gonna recruit international students and take care of them once they're on campus, then uh, you're at least heading in that right direction. So it's not all the elements of the perfect plan. These are the pieces, the principles mm -hmm. that you need to have that will help guide you uh, institutionally because every institution is going to be different in terms of how they'll build that plan, um, what elements will be uh, emphasized more than others. But if you have these six foundational uh, principles uh, in your uh, philosophy towards enrollment management, uh, international enrollment management in particular, you're on the right track. Gotcha. And I know you mentioned personalization and peers as the two last P's and 
what you you believe are the most important. Um, do you have an example of like how connecting with peers has maybe changed in the last few years and what maybe a, a, an example of what good looks like? I'd love to learn more about that. Sure. I think what uh, we have gained in, in the, during the pandemic is we've had, we weren't able to do in-person recruitment. And so we had to rely on digital means to, to reach mm-hmm. our audiences and to continue conversations with them that uh, might start with them viewing our, our website, maybe seeing a, uh, a current a student profiled uh, that might might have been from their country or might be studying what they're looking to study and uh, that at least peaked it peaked an interest if beyond that beyond your institution having what they want to study and maybe they know somebody whatever the factor is that brought them to your to your uh, to their attention initially you're if they have that initial contact with a student and then you're reinforcing that message throughout the admission cycle throughout the application stage throughout the admitted student stage throughout the uh, pre-enrollment stage uh, pre-arrival stage if you're having those elements built in where you have your current students that are uh, doing live chats or instagram or facebook lives uh, take, doing takeovers of your of your own institutional accounts uh, those are the ones that seem to have, and often do, that have the most resonance uh, with uh, your prospective student audiences. And it's it's those opportunities for that direct contact uh, that uh, international students, we know for just by the realities of, of world travel and, and finances, they're not going to be, unless they're already in the United States attending a high school English language mm-hmm. program or community college, they're not going to be visiting campus before they arrive for orientation. Right. So the, the, the responsibility is for institutions to help tell that story in other ways, and virtually is the way to do it, and uh, through virtual open houses, through having amb- student ambassador programs that can help digitally uh, respond on uh, to students who are, are on the site and see a chat icon and have a question they can fire out, and if there's a student online to answer that question right away, that has a real impact. Uh, if there's a, a virtual open house that you're, you're hosting in the fall for prospective students and parents, if you have a panel of current students talking about their, their experiences live, that mm-hmm. will have value. Uh, and those, yeah, all, all sorts of ways that, that you can, that, that can be, has been leveraged a lot, a lot more in the last few years. And I know you mentioned like a virtual event, like a panel discussion, like how, how detailed are you, do you suggest getting, do you, suggest having a, a native language in, in whoever you're recruiting in their district do you have do you recommend having that in their language like what are what are some best practices there sure well I don't necessarily think a, a large virtual event for prospective students is the maybe in a on, on a panel is the best place to have the kind of a native language content but certainly uh, there are ways that maybe if you have breakout rooms for some some discussions after mm-hmm. uh, those kind of virtual uh, virtual panels you that might be something that might be appropriate but i've seen uh, i've seen institutions that will do live chats uh, just as a one off event that are country specific and that have current students from that country uh, maybe faculty from that country also online talking in their native language to answer questions from not only students but parents and that's an audience that, particularly for undergraduate recruitment, is essential. You have to have some sort of strategy or at least content for them. And that often boils down to having that native language content online. Though, that can, they can actually, if they're not perfect English speakers or English comprehenders, that they could, uh, right. they could, learn, they could have that available to them to understand the, the nuts and bolts of your institution at the very bare minimum. Got it. 
and take you one step back to personalization, which is something you mentioned as well. Yeah. I know you mentioned uh, different different formats like in, in messaging, which kind of crosses the line with what you were saying with chats and one-on-one -on -one messaging. Are there other examples of where you see institutions doing a really good job with uh, the personalization aspect of it and not just doing a, yeah. you know, one, uh, just an area cover? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's a, an example of an institution I was doing some, I am still doing some consulting with right now, Millersville University in Pennsylvania. Uh, they're a smaller uh, state school in, in the state of Pennsylvania, and they have uh, not a huge population, but they have uh, a, a campus of seven, 8,000 students max that uh, that it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a, actually a quite beautiful campus in the small town in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, right in the heart mm -hmm. of Am Amish country. But uh, so they have a re reputation of being very safe. And so that's something that comes across in, in their messaging. But when they, they, they're doing a virtual event in the coming weeks that uh, we, we help put into their strategy this year, that uh, is focus is going to allow some of that those current students to tell that story. Uh, to really, um, we added a piece to the to the, their admissions process for admitted students last year, that uh, because it was a smaller pool, uh, they had uh, they offered uh, personalized walking tours, video walking tours, where we'd have a current one of their student ambassadors basically take it, take that student on a walking tour off campus where they might be staying in the residence halls what if they're whatever subject they're studying where they're gonna uh, what that what that building would be where the uh, president's office is where uh, the student union was the facilities that they would have access to that kind of thing and that was a, a, a extreme example of personalization for every admitted student that was a, that was something that they were going to be offering uh, to uh, to the to their admitted uh, class of internationals so that's 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 really uh, as as close an example as a one-on-one -on -one that you can get uh, internationally. Uh, that really helps move that needle and help paint that picture a lot better for them about what life is like to be on your on your campus. Uh, the concepts of um, personalized virtual tours, uh, uh, um, 360 tours, all those kinds of things that Concept 3D does. Those are the kinds of things that certainly during the pandemic that became absolutely bedrock essential for institutions to have versions of it, mm -hmm. uh, even for domestic students that weren't able to, to visit campus. Uh, so those are those will continue to have uh, value uh, long long after this the pandemic's uh, just a, a bad memory. Uh, but I think the um, the need for um, in more personalized attention and uh, personalized content and uh, is 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 the way that will help differentiate uh, you from every other institution that is just sending the same messages to everybody. Got it. And I kind of have a, a full super high level question, yeah. just just for you. And and I I did some research. Um, I, this has been a topic that's been top of mind for me for the last few weeks and. I found the United States has the highest number of international students by quantity, and I believe it was the UK and then Canada and then Australia, or I might be mixing up the order slightly, but I know that those are in the top four, um, obviously with the US being at a, a big lead in, up front. You know, uh, it, just going back to the, the, the theme of this podcast, which is creating or capturing demand. Mm -hmm. You know, if you look at all the US institutions as a whole, is there, you know, outside the country, is there just a lot of dam demand and it's up to the institutions to do the right job to capture it? Or is it also a, a mix of both where we also still need to c continue to create that demand? 
That's a great question. And I, one thing I always tell my colleagues, uh, and I, I also had the pleasure in addition to running my own consulting business, I now work 60% uh, time for University of Nevada, Las Vegas as their director of global recruitment and partnerships. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I, uh, I, I was initially brought in over a, a year and a bit ago uh, to be a consultant with them as they were trying to uh, internationalize for the first time. Mm -hmm. They've had, uh, for example, UNLV has a thousand international students or so on campus uh, when I started the consulting bit, and they had never really had a plan to ever go out and get them intentionally. They, did, they had a lot of policies and procedures that actually were working kind of against the easy flow of students in, just letting them come organically. Uh, there were some departments that were very active and engaged internationally, and they were doing their own thing, uh, but there really wasn't a campus-wide plan. And that's part of what I've been helping help them develop in the previous year when I was consulting. But now I felt the need that there was some staffing changes that happened, and I was asked to come on board as as a as an employee to help guide that recruitment and partnership plan. Uh, so that's for me um, one of the first things I, I emphasize to them was that perspective piece that we're that, that you're you're referencing as well as in terms of the competition that's out there. Right. Uh, yes, there is always going to be a demand for U.S. higher education, but the the global pie of mo globally mobile international students has has grown dramatically over the last 25 years. But that the competition for that pie has also grown. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, uh, UK, Australia are, had been our two main competitors 20 years ago. Uh, Canada was uh, in the top 10, but wasn't really that active. It had it became active about 12, 15 years ago, and they've certainly risen up the ranks. Uh, they have policies, government policies, national policies that are very open and welcoming to international students and provide a very clear path for those that want to stay and work and then right. maybe become residents or citizens. Uh, in the U.S., we don't have that, so that's a competitive disadvantage we have with our northern neighbors. Uh, the U.K. and Australia have also been uh, very active for the last uh, last 20 years as well in terms of not only relying on agents to do uh, a lot of recruitment for their institutions, they've uh, been much more proactive in the last decade in terms of sending their their uh, their representatives out to meet with students, to meet with parents, and uh, do those fairs that we've been doing in the U.S. for years at, uh, on a on a much broader scale. But uh, what I what I see as a, a roadblock for a lot of U.S. institutions in their planning is they don't account for this perspective piece of hey we're not when we're uh, we're uh, competing for international students it's not just against our U.S. colleagues that are our domestic competition. Mm -hmm. It's against universities in other countries where we might have an applicant that is applying not only in, in to, to the United States, to maybe UNLV, but we might have a, that same student might also be looking at uh, a Swiss uh, hotel school, uh, might be looking at a business program in the UK, might also be looking in Canada at a, at a hospitality program. Uh, that, that one student could be applying to four different countries potentially. And right. that's something that wasn't a real real common thing 20 years ago. And today we're in a world where, uh, like it, before 9-11, the U.S. In the, in the 90s had about 30% of the world pie of, of those globally mobile students, when wow. it was about 2.1 million uh, students that were studying outside their home country. Uh -huh. uh, the U.S. had about a third of those back in the 90s. Uh, we're down to 20% of the total total number of international students studying outside their home country are coming to the United States. So our, per, our percentage of that pie has dropped, but that pie has grown from about 2.1 million to almost 5 million students that are studying outside their home country right now. 
So where U.S. has about a million students, international students currently in the United States, according to DHS, CVS by the numbers data. Uh, mm -hmm. So I think uh, the, the institutions that do best now, other, other than those that have the name recognition that are always going to always going to get their numbers and have right. far more applicants than they're ever going to have space for, like the Ivies that accept less the than five percent yeah. of their their international applicants. So for that, other than those, uh, when we talk about U.S. institutions that have strong programs that have solid programming uh, uh, services for students on campus, what will really make the difference is the recognition in messaging to students, future students, that, hey, the U.S. is still a great destination. We, we may have, we all have our problems as, a, as countries around the world. Every, every no, no, nobody lives in the perfect country. Uh, we have our, more than our share, perhaps, but on our college campuses, in our communities, students sh should feel safe, should feel like they can thrive, should feel that they can become what they want to be you know, professionally and personally. And it's recognizing that it's when you're recruiting international students now, you're not just recruiting or promoting your institution, you're promoting the U.S. as well. Mm. And oftentimes, if you don't lead with that, as the U.S. is still a great destination, uh, you can still come. And if you're in a STEM field, you can work three years, up to three years for each degree level, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral right. level that you receive. And that's that's added value. Then you top, put on top of that the quality that is has always been the number one draw for international students to the United States. Our institutions, they're, they're just all the rankings that are out there. If you put a lot of faith in rankings, I personally don't, but that's what a lot of the world does. Those rankings all tend to suggest that the U.S. represent the top, like in the recent Shanghai rankings, 15 out of the top 20 are U.S. institutions and out of all that they rank. So there's, there's real importance in that quality standard, but there's also things that you, international students, if they've never been here before, don't really know about right. the U.S. They know that they can have, um, they're going to have great quality education. They know that um, uh, they're going to meet students from all over the world. But what they don't necessarily realize is the environment they're studying in is going to be so dramatically different than what they they might be used to in their home country or might expect to hear, see in other countries, that that's the, I think, the, the biggest differentiator for U.S. educators, outside, in, in international educators, when you're talking to, to prospective students. Yes, you have the quality. Yes, you have the diversity. But the, the kind of experience you have outside the classroom are, are those that are going to make or make your your experience in the United States the money that you're spending to come to the United States and study here which frankly is is, is more expensive wow. than most any other country in the world those experiences are the value add that the US offers that you, you're not going to get necessarily anywhere else in the world got and it institutions can can make that a part of their pitch not just how great their own institution is but mm -hmm. how great country is in embracing international students of a country founded on immigrants and you can throw out the stats of uh, all the other the, the, the one I saw most recently the of all the uh, the top 500 unicorn companies in the US uh, over half were started by immigrants or international students and that's the kind of value that oh my gosh that could be me and talk about the ultimate painting that picture I could be that someday if that was if that's what they have in mind so th there's a lot, there's still a lot of negatives and, and policy changes I would recommend that international educators have been calling for for years, but those are longer term things that we're not gonna solve ourselves. And what we can do is talk about the country as a whole as a, as a, and the benefits of the US as a destination, not just our own institutions. And that's where I think if more institutions start doing that, they're gonna see greater returns. Maybe we'll have a, 
a listener on on the sh on the show who works in policy of <laughs> of uh what is it student visas <laughs> well yeah maybe it's a, lot, it's a very complex world uh yeah world, no but, uh, i'm sure uh, you know it more so if i'm hearing you correctly to you know go back to my question about you know is it about creating or capturing demand there's more demand than ever you know compared to 30 years ago international students the the pie has grown from two mil to five plus mil um, and the U.S. still holds that number one position, but we've decreased in a ratio in the last 30 years. But uh, one one advice, you know, we're working under the current policies that, you know, we, we have no ability to change today. It, one recommendation I'm hearing is like institutions cannot look at themselves just competing against other institutions, but to also, you know, work together and to sell you know, what the experience and education in the U.S. both inside and outside the classroom is like so that we can bring each other up, and not just, you know, work like we are recruiting locally. Exactly. Got it. Awesome. Thank you, Marty. That was super insightful. Thank you so much for all your knowledge sharing and your insight. It was so great to have you on today. And for our listeners, he you can hear from Marty every week on Wednesday. So uh, follow him on LinkedIn and Marty, do you mind sharing out where our listeners can connect with you? Sure. On LinkedIn, it's uh, linkedin.com slash Marty Bennett. Uh, on, uh, YouTube, we have our own YouTube channel for SMIE Consulting, uh, Facebook page, uh, SMIE Consulting as well, and Twitter, SMIE Consulting. So you can get me on all those and Insta as well, same same handle. I haven't broached the TikTok world yet. We're, we're, we're not, not sure that generation's ready for me yet, but uh, we'll, we'll get there eventually. They're ready for Marty. <laughs> That's great. Thank you so much for joining us today. And to our listeners, come join us on the next episode. Thank you.